Views and opinions expressed on this platform are of me, myself, and I, not any agency I'm affiliated with. So please do not take what I say personally. I feel like another aspect. So we've talked about like imposter syndrome, learning more to be a better person in this job and stuff like that. And you get it because you're a female. It is another added aspect. And I'm not taking this into a feminist ideology, whatever, but this is real life. I feel like nine times out of 10, people call 911 and they expect it to be either two guys, one guy, whatever. And recently it was my second quote unquote tour with another female partner. So it's just the two of us showing up to a lift assist and stuff like that. And especially in these podunk parts I almost know what you're gonna say. of Louisiana, <laughs> yeah. we get there. And I don't think people do it maliciously. I don't think it's like, I'm going to do this intentionally, whatever. But I feel like people dumb down what's going on or they, they like, my favorite is when they're like, oh baby, this is what's going on. And I'm sitting here <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, stop. Are you Please. sure you could lift me, young lady? <laughs> you ladies look so small. And I I'm like, know. oh, wow, you're strong. Dude, I get so <laughs> irritated. And I try not to because I'm like, if I was in their shoes, like maybe I'd feel the same way or something. <laughs> yeah. Like if I'm calling 911 for my mama who fell and like she's on the ground, I'm not, there's a part of me that's like, like I hope a guy gets there. But then I, I'm like, no, stop it, Alexis. Yeah. Like, do better Damn. for yourself. <laughs> I'm turning into them. So it's partially that. And then it's also partially, again, another aspect you got to add into the whole, like, becoming a paramedic and all that stuff. When you're going through peaceful, I really feel like, and I would love for someone to try to prove me wrong on this, you have to even more so prove yourself because this is a male-predominant field. And it's not like you're trying to be better than the guys, but I just, I feel like there is that aspect of like, because you're a woman in EMS, either it's going to take you a little bit longer to get it, or you're not going to be able to take charge on scene as effectively, or I'm going all the way to lifting up a patient off the ground. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, this is such a fantastic topic. <laughs> oh, I love it so much. I'm going to be honest. A lot of what I'm going to speak on is my own personal experience and, like, opinions that I have formed. I don't care. I don't care what they think of me. And just don't. Doesn't pay my bills. Doesn't sign my checks at the end of the day. And it's not going to make me lose sleep. Just don't care. I know what I'm capable of. But you are 100% correct in the mindset of, I feel like I gotta prove myself a little bit more just to be up to par to what people view as um, being a good medic. You know, just being good, just being basically good, you know? But I just don't give a d- <laughs> I just don't care. Think what you think. Because when I show up on scene and I show out and I do what I'm freaking good at and I know I'm good at, and you're like, huh. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to keep on going. I don't care. It doesn't affect me. But it did. Yeah. In the past. 
because I got an attitude. <laughs> and I got an attitude because I felt like I had to have one. You know? People say, being a paramedic, you have to have a type A personality. And what that means is, being a naturally good leader and being able to take charge and being confident. But as a woman, if you have that type A personality, you're labeled as a <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. She's got an attitude. Yeah. She's hard to be around. She's hard to work with. I don't care. Because the people that know me and the people that have taken the time to get to know me know that I come from a very good place. Mm-hmm. I am a good person. And I have such a big heart. And that's hard for me to show to people when I first meet them. Whether you're a patient or my partner. It's hard for me to walk up to a scene and just wear my heart on my sleeve. Because we're taught in this field over time, you can't. (laughs) You know, you just can't. So if I walk on scene and I'm bossy, it's because I need to be. Right. But if I was a man, would you say anything? Exactly. No. No, nobody says anything because that's just part of the personality. Yeah. But as a woman, it's completely different. But I let it go. It is what it is. As long as you're listening to what I'm telling you to do. (laughs) You know? (laughs) You know? (laughs) Because then you might actually see the attitude. Because, like, I'm just a type A person. I always have been my entire life. I've always been labeled as bossy and a leader or whatever it is that you want to classify me as. But I have always had that label on my back and that it feels like a target sometimes. But at the end of the day, when I walk on scene and if it's a critical patient and I know I got a time clock working against me, I'm throwing out orders. I need this, 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 and this. Can you do this, 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 and this? And afterwards, once things calm down, I... I'm not rude about it. I'm polite. Can you do this, please? Or do you mind yada, yada, yada? Either way, I approach the situation the same way that a man would, but I feel like after the call, I have to come in behind and say, hey, I'm sorry if I came across rude or bossy. Not my intentions, just in that situation, I really needed that. And, you know, nine times out of ten, a lot of the responses that I get are, no, it's all good. It's cool. Like, I'm fine with that. That's okay. You know, so I also feel like a lot of it could be in our head just because of the, I guess, um, generation before us. You know, there really wasn't a lot of women in EMS. Right. I can name one medic, and she works for a that has been around for 35 years. How many other female medics do you know that have been around for that long? Not none. So we're new. Yeah. We're new to this, but we're taking charge, and I'm sorry, but I ain't taking no shit either. (laughs) (laughs) And you shouldn't. And I don't care. There's no need to take, yeah. But there is definitely a stipulation. There is like a, like you said, you walk on scene with two females, and they're like, are you sure you can lift me? Yes, I can. Absolutely. Yes, I can. Absolutely, I can. (laughs) You know? I only drop you on days and end with one. My God. We're not calling them dad jokes anymore. We're calling them mom jokes. 
Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cheers to that, you know. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's difficult because I don't like being that person that is labeled as having an attitude or being hard to deal with. But I don't care that I am. And again, like I said, there was a time where I did. But I again, no, I know what I'm capable of. Yeah. I know that I'm good at this. And I'm going to, I'm, I'm okay with proving that to people. I'm okay with that because just like respect and trust, it's earned. So I know that I have to earn it and I'm okay with that. It's fine. Whatever. Whatever, whatever. <laughs> I feel like that goes back to that ability to have, I would say even just like that moment or that one patient where everything is hitting the fan mm-hmm. and you have to learn how to, I don't want to say this in a cringy way but like you have to boss up like it took that one i can almost remember the call explicitly oh please do tell <laughs> no i'm here for that seriously so it was uh i fumbled the bag very much um it might have been copd because it turned my hate for respiratory calls into a love for it and my next goal is respiratory therapy but i think because of this call but this patient was drowning drowning in their own fluids. Mm-hmm. Absolutely drowning. Which is terrifying. Oh, 100%. Because you know the things and you know, like, if this isn't fixed in the next 30 seconds, but everything. But you also can't do anything. Right. Like, here's your CPAP and let's diesel you therapy. You literally wait for them to die so you can do something. Yeah. But anyways, I'm sorry. Continue. No, you're good. Um, So she's drowning in her own fluids and I'm working with it was during clinicals i'm working with the crew and to an extent they would let me do my own thing but especially especially in this call it literally took i stood there for a second and i was like i think we need to do this um because partially it goes into that like i didn't want to be that bossy person to be like hey i need this done i need this done i need this done i hadn't grown a pair yet Mm -hmm. and it was also like it's two men who are way older than me and I didn't want to, like, have to demand things. So I was just, like, I stood there for a second, and I turned around. And the lead medic was, like, he literally pushed me to the side. He's, like, you're done. Mm-mm. And I... No. I was I was so mad in that moment. And I was, like, excuse me? He was, like, you're wasting time right now. And started doing all the things. I hate to interrupt you here to go off on a tangent. I almost respect him for doing that. Yeah. Right? Because what did you learn? I learned that I need take the initiative. I I knew the things that needed to get done. Yeah. But it was partially it was a little bit of tunnel vision and then it was also like I just hated I didn't want to be that person to start demanding things. Yeah. But you know, I something my dad told me before he died. I love this. I live my life by this. What is being courageous if anything but brave right being courageous is being scared but doing it anyways right yeah so get on scene and i don't give a damn who's there <laughs> could be all men all men could be seven doctors there that pulled up onto an accident they're all one of them's a dentist yeah no. they always <laughs> i'm a doctor i don't care I'm doing it anyways and get out of my way yeah you know anyways continue 
no, it's just we like we got the call. The patient made it out fine. Whatever they get, they got discharged later that day or sent up to the floor, something like that. They turned out fine, but like getting back out to the ambulance, we're clearing up, and I knew it was going to be a little brutal, mm-hmm. but I still asked my same thing of what went well, what could have gone better next time try. And he looked at me and he was like, you have got to take charge. He was like, if it had been you in an EMT basic, which is going to be in the next year, that's how it's going to be. He's like, you would have killed this patient. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I just, I was like, I just, I feel uncomfortable like telling you guys what to do. He's like, what are you going to do when it's just you in a basic? I'm like, well, I'm going to have to do that. He's like, he said, I don't care if the patient is wiling out and it's you and a cop and a basic or it's just you and the basic, whatever. He's like, you have got to learn how to take scene control. Yeah. And man up. He said, I had to put it that way. He's like, but man up and get things done. Mm-hmm. He said, whether it, he said again, whether it's the patient wiling out or our patient is drowning in their own fluids. He said, you've got to work on that. Yeah. He said, I don't care if you know every medication that we carry or we could carry. You, if you have the, sh- the book smarts, he said, if you don't have that street smart and that umption to you, you're not going to make it in this field. And he's, he's right. Oh, it was I hard. I hate it. I but hate he's right. it. I, like, we're driving back to the it station like, and I'm crying in the back. I'm like. You're like gritting your teeth. You're like, mad at him, mad at yourself, right. mad at the world. Yeah, dude. 100%. I was a little mad at the patient because I'm like, yeah. who are you to tell me? Right. How dare you try to die and make a fool out of me, you know? But, hey, dude, I tell you what. That whole, like, man-up situation, I promise I can hang with the best of them. I promise I can hang with the big boys. I believe that. I can. And I'm doing it because, like I said, there's not a lot of women that have stuck around for a long time. And the women that have are, again, they're some of my idols. They're some of my heroes. You know, Renee Guidry, I don't know if you know who she is, but mm. she is, she's, a, she's an idol of mine. I'm doing the foundation and building the, the groundwork for the ones to follow, and I'm okay with it. I'll eat that. I'll eat that crap, man. Like, throw it at me. I don't give a damn. I've been called argumentative. I've been called difficult. I've been called a B-word. I've, you name it, I have been told that. And I laugh about it every time. <laughs> because it's funny to me. Because if I was a man... You wouldn't be saying it. Exactly. But that's okay. I don't care. It's important. It is. What we're doing is important. Absolutely. A little segue. What is your favorite type of call? And like I say in every episode, we have respiratory. You have cardiac. You have trauma. You have psychs. I've never met somebody who set a code. I personally hate cardiac arrest calls. (laughs) Um whatever and like like they're boring well like an officer i know said he's like by the time you guys get there they've been dead for like 10 minutes Uh i'm like that's not including the time before when yeah yeah so boring i'm not a fan of them but there are so many types of calls what is your favorite noro really 100 percent. my least favorite i hate stroke calls i I, I don't know what it is. 
I'll be 100%. I think it's because I'm so fascinated by the way that the brain works. I mean, think about it, dude. Your brain functions everything. Everything. And people are like, it's your heart. What's your heart doing without your brain? Exactly. (laughs) I am so fascinated by it. And I know that, I guess in the field of EMS, there's not a whole lot that we can do. As far as like on a neuro call, especially like a true neuro emergency, there's not much we can do. But I'm just so fascinated. You know, the from the ICP, you know, or how it affects respirations, how it affects your blood pressure. It affects everything, right? Mm-hmm. All of it. What is it that we can do? Well, there's medications we can give or we can intubate. But a lot of it's focused around those BLS skills because that's all you can do that's actually truly going to make a difference. But I, I, that's, yeah, that's my favorite, honestly. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I guess I'm a little weirdy. Probably. That's fine. No, it's mad kudos. Um, I just, dude, I hate when it, when they dispatch it and they're like, like the last one, the last good one I had. I don't, I mean, sorry for the patient, but the last good one. <laughs> I, we get it. We get it. <laughs> um, they were like, it's a possible stroke, blah, blah, blah. We get there. And it was like, it was a good call. Um, onset of symptoms happened like maybe two minutes before they just called 911. We get there. She's having an obvious stroke. Mm-hmm. And I hated it because she was awake, mm-hmm. just not with it. Yeah. And so I'm having to say all this stuff, like, yeah, tell the family it's a possible, possible stroke. Let me call. Uh, I need to call a number. I need to figure out the best facility for her to go to, all this stuff. And having a look at this woman who is looking at me, and you can see it in her eyes, she's terrified. Oh, for sure. And looking at her and be like, ma'am, I know this is very scary. I know you're going through a lot right now. Here's what's going on. As we're wheeling out to the stretcher, and I'm thinking, like, I need – the only thing I can do right now, because I don't have a CT, I don't have TPA, I don't have all this stuff, is literally like starting IVs, mm-hmm. bring her to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I think it's it's maybe a pride thing. Like you're talking about, like, there's a couple of things we can do, a couple of meds, whatever. But like, for me, it's just like, there's not much I can do. Yeah, I just, I do enjoy the, the compassion side of it too. Right. And it's not just strokes. It's also seizures. Yeah. I'm not a fan you know? of seizure calls. I don't mind them. I enjoy them. I do. But I I get there and I know that if you're looking at me and you're tracking, you're probably aware of what's going on. But even if you aren't, I'm still going to talk to you. Yeah. I'm still going to say, hey, you're having a stroke. This is what we're doing. Your family's okay. They're going to meet you here. And you'll be surprised how many people afterwards, when they finally get back their GCS of 15, like, oh my gosh, that paramedic actually, you know, comforted me. I was terrified, you know, but I I couldn't speak. Imagine that, right? Yeah. Being so scared and not being able to speak. That's insane. I guess maybe that's why I enjoy it too, you know. I do have that compassion side of me where I just, I enjoy being someone's comfort it means a lot to me so from a uh <laughs> so there was one time there was a patient who was completely unconscious they were post they just had a seizure all this stuff and 
this wasn't in Louisiana. Um, but the whole time I'm explaining like, Hey, I'm about to start an IV. Hey, if you go into another seizure, I've got some meds for you. I'm going to put a little bit of oxygen on you. Blah, 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 blah. We're going to get to the hospital to run some blood tests, going through the whole myriad. I was working with a crusty, crusty, crusty medic. <laughs> and after the call, he was like, he was like, why were you talking in the back so much? I was like, because I'm explaining to my Because I'm not a patient. butthole, that's why. Yeah, I was like, I was explaining <laughs> what's going on. He's like, well, they can't hear you. I said, let me run it down to you like this, sir. I said, and if you know me, there's been a couple of calls where my partners have saved me. Um, just to put it that way. Um... <laughs> but i told him i was like dude i have been that patient that somebody called an ambulance for me because i'm dying Mm -hmm. and as i'm passing out in the back of an ambulance which is i've had a couple of scary experiences in my life outside of like medically but that is the most terrifying thing i've ever been through is literally like one the crew that was there in florida Disney World. Um, (laughs) I just, the whole time I knew they were scared. So it's partially that. But like I'm passing out and this medic literally gets to my ear and he's like, uh, as he's like, he had just said like, hey, we need to push this. We need to do this. We need to do this, whatever. Um, I'll never forget it. He's like, she's going out. And literally the last thing I remember before waking up in the ER with a CPAP probably about an hour before I get intubated. It was literally like him getting by my ear and saying, we're doing everything we can. Yeah. And I will never forget that. That was while I was still an EMT. Not, I don't, I'm, I was in paramedic school, but I was still like an EMT. And I was like, I'm carrying this when like, after Mm -hmm. everything was all done, I'm back at my house. I'd open up a textbook and like that came rushing back to my mind. I'm like, I will forever do everything I can to be that person. Yeah. So Isn't that powerful? I love that, though. Like, people take for granted the weight that our job carries. And they forget how important they can be to somebody. I'll never be that person to forget or take for granted what we do. I don't want to do it for the rest of my life. No. But (laughs) (laughs) I'm good on that. But while I'm here... I'm going to have the time of my life and I'm going to be here for the people that um, really need it. We, you can get jaded because in, in our job, like it is our job to go to calls and take care of people, do all the things, whatever, and then drop them off at the hospital, whether they're critical or not. And I would say 85% of it is <laughs> non-critical patients. Yeah, 100%, so yeah. with that in mind, like we go to all of these patients, we go to all of these houses, we do all the things, whatever. But the normal lay person, and I feel like a lot of people lose sight of this and that's why they get crusty. The normal lay person may be either the person that calls 911 or in the back of an ambulance. They can go through their whole life without that or experience it once. Yep. And so it's, it's easy to lose sight of that. Like this person has never experienced that. Like we get in the back of the ambulance or in the front and, like, it's our second home. Like, right. this is where I'm comfortable. This is my, quote-unquote, office. That's why, like, I like getting patients in the back as soon as possible. Because it relieves a little bit of that. Like, yeah. this is my environment. Yeah, this is 100%. where I'm comfortable. Um, I feel like when you lose sight of that, like, 
this is so foreign to so many people, aside from our frequent flyers. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Had to throw that one in there. Woo. (laughs) Love that for us, you know. (laughs) But even, like, even with them, like, losing that compassion and losing that ability to empathize and take yourself out of that this is what I'm trained to do, but putting yourself in their shoes, not so much of where like you're crying with them, but being able to like, for one second, hold Meemaw's hand or have like one ounce of, I'm sorry you're going through this. If you lose sight of that, Mm -hmm. you can know all that you can be a Jacob Davis and it's time to leave. Exactly. But you know what? That's such a good point. And something that when I was an EMT, I didn't understand, but as a paramedic, now I do. As an EMT, I didn't understand why for our frequent flyers, my medic was still making me do a 12 lead. I'm like, we know what this is. Like, come on, you know, now that I'm a paramedic, you're not catching me with my pants down. Sorry. But on top of that, um, like you were saying, sometimes these people genuinely are going through things that most people miss and I have the perfect example for that literally two weeks ago was dispatched to an abdominal pain for like a 34 year old female she's a frequent flyer in route I called for area back and dispatch called me and said this is a frequent flyer the audacity dude that's a whole other tent I'm not gonna yeah. get into it that's a whole yeah stay in your lane Mm -hmm. i love let me put this out there love our dispatchers appreciate them i could not (laughs) do their job but i've reason last night was told by an emt who him and his partner called because it was a voluntary psych who wanted to go to the er all this stuff they called for the sheriff's they called for pd and dispatch called him and was like it's a voluntary no so right now I have a I'm hot headed about that. Yeah, go on. I'm sorry. I just <laughs> no, that's okay. Love our dispatchers, but you're not here. Yeah, I don't understand what all you do, but you don't get it. Yeah, I've, mm. no, hundred percent. I agree with that. So, um, yeah. So dispatch calls and says that, and I was like, uh, I don't really care. Like, I don't care. I've, let me know what my ETA is. <laughs> um, okay. So we get on scene and even my basic had dealt with this patient before i had never dealt with this patient um but my basic that i was working with said um yeah this is a frequent flyer pick her up all the time i don't care you know we get there we get her in the back of the truck she's fine dcs 15 she's stable i'm still doing all the things the stuff and the things the bells and the whistles so i get her hooked up everything's fine but then i sit down and i have a conversation with her no one had had a conversation with this woman to ask her why she wanted to go to the hospital four times a week. This woman has gallstones and gastroenteritis and acid reflux. So her pain's real. Yeah. But on top of that, no one has taken note of the fact that she recently had a below-knee amputation to her right leg from simply stepping on a nail. So she's depressed. I know exactly who you're talking about, yeah. 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 And so I'm looking at this woman and I'm asking her, are you okay? 
and it was like something in her head like you can literally see it something like a, a light bulb like lit up she was like no i'm not okay like my life has been flipped upside down like she's really dealing with some serious stuff are you supposed to be on depression meds yeah when was the last time you took those eight months ago maybe it's time we get back on those maybe it's time that we go to therapy to talk about the stuff that the traumatic things that you just dealt with you know you get your leg cut off you have to learn how to live life in an entirely new way and then we're having the conversation about her support system who does she have in her life that's there for her through all of this stuff no one you know that's stuff that people will easily overlook that could have easily just been a get in the back of the truck transport drop off to the hospital i don't look at it like that let's talk let's have a conversation and no one had done that for that woman which was sad to me. Mm -hmm. Like, it hurt my feelings. I was like, y'all really don't, y'all be out here just not caring? <laughs> like, just, you just don't care? <laughs> For a girl who says that I don't care a lot, I mean, I don't care what you think about me, but I care about my patients. Yeah. You know? Lord have mercy. And since then, this woman has gotten back on her depression medication. She's still calling the ambulance as, as of, I think, last week or whatever. But there's been ground that has been broken and the last time i saw her she had an appointment set up with a counselor she also had an appointment with her psychiatrist and she had an appointment with a gi doctor from one conversation just one and that's for that patient that was probably life-changing probably even if like you said she's still calling for an ambulance she's still calling for the same issues whatever even if it's that one instance where it makes a difference mm -hmm. with that one question of, are you okay? Yeah. 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 And that can go into psych patients too. I could go on a whole another conversation about that as well. <laughs> I love my psychs. I love them to death. That's my comfort people. <laughs> I can relate to them. <laughs> I got mental illnesses too. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I love telling my patients. They're like, um, I ask them like, what kind of medical history do you have? And they're like, oh, well, I have like this, that. And I'm like, okay, what mental illnesses do you have? Do I have to be specific? And they're like, oh, well, I have bipolar, depression, anxiety. I'm like, me too. What meds are you right. taking? I'm taking this. <laughs> they're like, oh, you take meds too? And I'm like, yeah, I'm a human. Yeah. Like, so yeah. I get through every day, friend. Literally. <laughs> It's fine. It's okay. You're not less than because you have to take no. pills. Oof. You know? At me. <laughs> same. It, same. <laughs> it's fine. The last actual... I'm going to out myself on this one. The last actual psych patient that I had was literally like... They called because... Um, whatever it was. And I just... From that call, I literally remember them being like... Yeah, I just... I haven't taken my medication in the past couple of months. And I looked at them. I was like, I'm going to be honest with you, friend. Me either. <laughs> I said, we're both on Lamictal. And I have not taken my meds. I said, and I'm going to my psychiatrist next week. I yeah. said, friend. I said, whether I'm your wake-up call or not, I was like, you have got to take your meds. Mm -hmm. They were like, well, I know. That's why I'm going to the ER. I was like, please do. Yeah. I said, because you know it's 
and said, it's fun if you don't, but it's also miserable on the downfall. And they were like, you know what? No one's ever put it that way. I was like, it's time. Yeah. I mean, I feel like our patients look at us and they think that we're above them. I can see that. Yeah. Like, they're like, okay, here's this, like, well-to-do, put-together individual. <laughs> My newsflash. <laughs> I had an anxiety attack on the way to this call, so. <laughs> I need nicotine, caffeine, and a long nap to get through my day. <laughs> and Lexapro, five milligram, not sponsored. <laughs> Take your well-beaten, friends. <laughs> a sucky place to be in the back of an ambulance and I get that but it's not the end of the world yeah well for some people it is <laughs> some people <laughs> the souls wandering around inside the back of an ambulance <laughs> and Bro, like, have you ever been in a haunted ambulance <laughs> let me tell you There was one shift where this lady died in the back of me and one of my former partners, who's now one of my best friends on this planet. And this lady died. The next call, no, it was later that night. We get a call. It's like a normal, like the patient's fine, whatever. Yeah. And the lights flickered uh-huh. in the back. No. And like I was just driving to the hospital and I saw it in the rearview mirror. I turned around, I was like, Javen! She was like, She's back! <laughs> she- that's so funny dude there's no way there's no way short story i used to work in missouri as an emt and that's whenever i was the terrible terrible twos of emts and we had an ambulance that was no cap haunted like you would take a picture of the front cab of it and you'd see outlines of human beings that were not there i swear to god i even have a picture still to this day it actually popped up on my memories like three days ago. And I was like, oh, that's cool. But like haunted ambulances. Could you imagine? That should be at the 13th gate. Yeah. Like there's a just whole section of Park it, leave it, have it. Like, oh, no, dude. No way. <laughs> no way. The Jennings station? Haunted. Dude, there haunted. was one. I was working with Taylor Houston and literally. Him, by the way. Quality. Top tier quality. Amazing person. That dude wrote a reference letter for me and I still have it. Um. But we were we were bedded down for the night, and I hear from the and this is like the old Jennings station. Yeah, I have a story with Zach. Um, so with Taylor, like I heard something in the kitchen. I go in there, the cabinets are open. Uh uh-uh. uh And I like knock on his door. He wakes up. He's like, "What's up, dude?" I'm like, <coughs> "The cabinets are open." He's Take like, "Take a peek." He literally he says, "Yeah, that happens." Closes the door, and I said, "What?" What is this? Just like normal for this you? Is, that's why I literally I was like, I'm never working here ever again. You're gonna I'm... go outside and do some yoga about it? Because I'm not. I'm gonna be in here chewing Lexapros, freaking out about the fact that the cabinets are open. <laughs> Jesus, are you kidding? Did it with Zach? No. Literally, I walked into that main room at the news station because this is why I've worked there maybe twice now because yeah. I'm so terrified of that station. Don't get me started on Church Point. <laughs> I literally walked in and there's a whole 
it looked like a, it i swear to god it was a human being sitting on the couch i look it's it's like you know how those doors are like they face each other and you look at whatever uh-huh i looked i said not today not today. I went back. I laid uh-uh. in that bed and I cried. I'm like, I'm not gonna make it There's, out of your life. Oh, my freaking fingers are like doing the <laughs> take my strong hand thing. I can't, dude. I just <laughs> the way that my body is set up, like I cannot <laughs> function with that. Let me show you the video. That I is have. so hilarious, but it's also terrifying. It is so scary. The first shift, me and Logan worked in the Church Point station. I think Logan showed me this video. Was it the hallway light? Yes. Never, yep. dude. Yep. I slept in it the ambulance the so many day. shifts. It did that to me the other day. The light switch was off. The light switch was off. <laughs> Ain't no way, dude. Uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> I just love him, bro. <laughs> I hate our station I, so much. Again, I can't live, laugh, love in those conditions. Mm-mm. I can't do it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Haunted ambulances are a thing. And 100%. we literally, so after the lights flickered, all this stuff, and like my partner's like, she's back! We literally, I would have died laughing. We were clearing up, and our dispatch called us because we were like, hey, are you guys almost clear from this call? I'm like, um, almost. We're burning. My partner for she had, she carried crystals and like sage and all this kind of stuff. We burnt sage in the back of that ambulance. Oh, no, you did. Do I believe in that stuff? Partially, no. I'm skeptical, but I was like, whatever it takes, whatever Dude, it takes to look, clear this out. That is absolutely freaking hilarious. And just to, <laughs> the sage burning though, good move. Yeah, good I was move. like, hey, uh, we're almost clear. My partner's like. With the sage in the back <laughs> opening the cabinets because we're we're covering every corner. After that, we're like, nope, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Oh, my, that is so funny that we both have experiences <laughs> with that. That is hilarious because every person that I've brought that subject up to, they're like, you're retarded. And I'm like, yes, I am, but I'm not lying either. Uh, <laughs> like, they get trapped back there. They, right? I mean, like, if you, they're hanging out underneath the normal saline. Like, <laughs> chilling waiting for their moment to make me so nervous that i'm about to sh- my pants <laughs> i'm like driving and got the goosebumps because the lights are flickering <laughs> shouldn't be like this <laughs> i did not sign up for these working conditions <laughs> this is a hostile work environment <laughs> i'm filing a complaint tomorrow <laughs> literally can't sleep in the station because i'm scared (laughs) i already got anxiety like (laughs) i don't need this on top of this yeah dude my last one of my last shifts at church point was um nobody believes me nobody believes me i swear to god i had just made coffee Mm -hmm. logan's on his way to shift made a pot of coffee i know his drill whatever because he is a coffee loving fool addict literally addict so made the coffee did all the things and i had also just watched an exorcist movie why would so you do that i brought all the energy and i would you do such a thing i blame myself for you this. should i blame myself <laughs> and i made the coffee the pot is about halfway full i'm walking out of where that kitchen area is mm-hmm. 
and I hear a shatter behind me. No, you me. don't. Swear to God, I look behind me in the coffee pot. I had put it in the grooves, and it wasn't like... It's not like a question on whether or not the coffee pot is in the thing or not, because no. it's very obvious when you put... There's it, a distance. Yeah. There's a distance. It was behind me. It hit the wall. I heard it. That's what initially made me turn around. And it falls to the ground and shatters. Coffee everywhere. Alexis, <laughs> I don't know your middle name, Hardwick. They would have to find a replacement for me. I literally, I was so, between personal life and I had just worked a shift before. <laughs> My life is a shambles. The fucking work's a shambles. The coffee pot just shattered. No. I turned around and I said, ma'am, not today. <laughs> Ma'am, the ghost. <laughs> Ma'am, the ghost. What did you think she was going to do? Was it a she? Did you just freaking gender her? <laughs> you should use they, them pronouns. <laughs> I said, like, the other crew is still asleep. It's just me. Oh I said, God. you have paintings. You have things <laughs> on the shelves. And you choose the coffee pot. <laughs> You were pissed because it was the coffee pot? Alexis, get your priorities <laughs> order. Ma'am. <laughs> that would have been the least of my worries, dude. Logan walks in. I'm sitting there with I'm like, coffee pot's busted. And he's like, like cussing out a ghost. And he's Look. like, are you okay? He was like, what do you mean? And he's like still half asleep, <laughs> showing up for yeah. shit. I'm like, the coffee pot is busted. <laughs> we have to go get coffee. He's like, all right. I'm like, I don't think you understand what I just went through, my dude. I'm having a fist fight with a ghost right now. <laughs> By the just way, I missed my it. last 17 doses of Wellbutrin, but <laughs> it's not that, I promise. It's the ma'am. Mm, okay, let me hit you with something. Okay. Speaking on the topic of addiction. Okay. So... Like I was saying earlier, it is a huge stigma in, in EMS. Like, we get a call for an overdose. Say it's somebody that we've picked up several times. Ah, uh, just let him die. No. Dude, uh, that's so... That's, no big deal. That's immoral. Right? But even further, like, I personally feel that I have a good understanding of addiction as a disease which is such a controversial topic like people don't like to talk about that but my father was an addict he was also my hero yeah you know he was also my favorite person in the entire world but he was an addict of not just um hard drugs but he was also an addict of alcohol And he ended up drinking himself to an early grave at 42 years old, and he died in my arms, which is in and of itself a very traumatic experience. But the three years leading up to his death was, I don't have words to describe the amount of heartache that comes with watching someone that you love, that is an addict, battle that. Because... There were so many nights where he would be laying in my arms, crying himself to sleep with a Bible in our lap, reading the word, and 
doing everything possible to get him the help that he needed in and out of rehabs any rehab you can think of we were trying to get him in he went probably in three years I'm pretty sure he went to eight different rehabs but people think that addiction is a choice and it's not and until you were in that person's shoes or until you were someone who unconditionally loves someone that is in those shoes you have no opinion facts none and that's what for to hear someone say because i mean you understand we've heard it to hear someone say like oh well they're just addicted they it's almost a sense of entitlement to be able to say that Mm -hmm. because to out myself on a personal aspect um and i've seen it in friends and family members it wrecks your life and it's it's not a choice Mm-mm. when the and you can look at it from the pathophysiology aspect of like how your brain is literally rewired to require this substance whether it's pills whether it's alcohol i mean we could even go on what the normal person deals with with like social media yep. your cell phone things like that it dopamine it re wires your brain right so to hear because i've heard it from family members on calls of like well they're just an addict this is just how they are and you have to if you if you don't sit down with the patient and say like i understand what you're going through or i've seen this from family members it brings a whole different ball game and you what i struggle with is like you may not change that person you probably can't change that person but having that ability to be able to empathize on that level and be like either like for me I'm like I've experienced that or being able like from your shoes like I've seen someone go through this you are not alone and I feel like that is for me that is the most powerful thing you can say to someone is you are not alone Mm -hmm. and because it not only are do you know like you are addicted to this substance or this thing or alcohol or xyz whatever knowing that you're going through that like you don't want to go through all of that you don't want to have to be dependent on that you don't want to you don't want to have to wonder like when is my next fix when is the next thing when is the but it's constantly racking your brain because getting your fix is not enough It's Mm -hmm. always like, okay, we're we're good right now. When's the next one? Mm -hmm. When am I going to feel that good again? So hearing like you're not alone is is partially like someone else gets that. But it's also like I am not that messed up because I'm going through this. Correct. And that's such a good point. My, um, My father, him and I, one of our favorite things to do would be just driving around, listening to music and talking some of the deepest conversations I've ever had and a lot of who I am as a person today has come from just those drives and those talks and I remember the the three years prior to his death we would be driving around and he'd say oh I bought meth from someone that in that spot oh my drug dealer was over here oh this is the gas station I used to stop at to buy a 12 pack of beer and a liter of vodka 
you know? And he would be so ashamed and so heartbroken to openly admit that to his daughter, but he would do it anyways because he wanted me to know that that's not the person that he wanted to be. He didn't choose to be that person. He fought so hard to not be that person. Again, like crying in my lap, night after night after night, begging God to please help him to stop being the way that he was because he didn't choose that. He didn't want that. I think everyone has different experiences that lead them down that route. And absolutely, poor choices definitely contributed to it. Let's not lie. It starts off as a choice. I can agree with that. But ultimately, it ends up as a disease. And I will fight tooth and nail to the day that I die over that. So when I get an overdose call and my partner is saying hateful things, I don't tolerate it. And I won't, ever. And um, obviously that expands into pretty much all of my calls. Again, my frequent flyers, like, I never discount them saying they're in pain or anything of that nature. I just have a better understanding and compassion at the end of the day and at the bottom of the wire. I'm always going to take into account that they are human and that what they're experiencing is real. And that means something to me. Most people, it doesn't. Yeah. Most people don't care. I do. And when it particularly comes to addiction, again, I'm going to have a conversation with them. Let's talk. We're in the back of the ambulance. You're high off whatever it is you're high off. I don't care. I start off with you're in a safe safe place. There's no judgment. Let's talk. What are you dealing with? What are you going through? Do you have children? Do you have family? Have you thought about rehab? Have you been in rehab? Did it work for you? Why not? If it did, what aspects of your rehab helped? What didn't? Do you have a primary care physician? Do you have someone that you can talk to about the things that you deal with on your day-to-day life that lead you to drugs? And I think that that's a conversation that paramedics don't care about. Because we, at our core and at our nature, we are emergency-hungry people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. (laughs) You know? And an overdose to us is so common that it's no longer classified as an emergency. And I wish that it was. I wish that every call was classified as an emergency. Because it is. You know? People don't see it that way. No. But I do. So even on refusals, like one of the many ways to try to help somebody understand, like, you should go to the hospital, whatever. I'll tell people, like, you called 911 for a reason you constituted this as an emergency this isn't just you're calling urgent care you called for somebody to bring you to the hospital because even though like well you called for an ambulance like even if we're not giving life-saving interventions you called for someone to take you to a hospital for higher care Mm -hmm. for a reason like it's not just a normal day-to-day thing 
So when I kind of like you're saying, when I, when I'm working with somebody or even like I get in my jaded perspective where I'm like, Oh, it's just an overdose. It takes, I feel like it, I feel like it brings a higher level of respect for a provider who has seen it or been through it or whatever it is to be able to like get down to that level and be like, all right, like you you can be the smart book, smartest medic or EMT, whatever, and understand the pathophysiology of addiction or why Narcan works or how whatever they took affects your body and stuff like that. But if you don't understand it from the human perspective of, like you said, like it is a choice to take the substance, to inject yourself with heroin, to inject yourself with this, or to take this pill, or to drink the alcohol, whatever it is, it is a choice. But then it's forever going to be that pat, that neural pathway and that need for that high yep. or to forget everything. And that's why, like, I patients have told me, like, well, I used to be an addict. And I've told them, like, you didn't used to be. You're forever you an addict. Are. You're forever an alcoholic. You're forever <laughs> this thing because it wrecks your life. It wrecks your, if you let it, not even if you let it get bad enough, when it gets bad enough, it wrecks your family members. It wrecks your relationships. It it wrecks your day-to-day life. And let's think about it on an emotional level. It wrecks your heart. Yeah. Not like pathophysiology. Like genuinely, it hurts, you know? Because you don't want to be that way. No. You just, you it's are. a disease. You cannot help it. Yeah, you can't help COPD. True, yeah. You can't help CHF. You can't ha- help having a stroke. Yeah. But it still happens, you know? And aside from that, can we talk about the lack of knowledge behind being prescribed hydrocodone for a broken ankle? I broke my neck when I was 14. Nobody knows this. Not a lot of people know this. People usually, um, they ask what the scar on the back of my neck is from, and that's how the conversation gets started. But I don't just bring it up in conversation. Um, And I was prescribed codeine, Tylenol codeine, hydrocodone, and something else. And I refused at 14. 14. Refused to take any of it and when my mom and my nurse at school because my nurse had all my medications and I was supposed to be taking it on a regular schedule she would call me down to her office she would ask if I wanted my medicine and I would say no time and time and time again and I think probably after 56 days of the same situation she'd be like why don't you take your medicine and I'd say well my dad's an addict and I know that I'm predisposed to being one mm-hmm. but I have that knowledge I'm 14 years old under grasp that being 14 and understanding what being an addict is because my dad struggled with that that's the reason why him and my mom got divorced and everything I was already aware that I had that capability of being that person with a broken neck and severed muscles I would ask for Tylenol and a Gogurt. <laughs> I still love Gogurt to this day, by the way. I love Gogurt. But I would ask for Tylenol, Gogurt, and I would go take a nap in the back of her office. 
I would never take my medicine. Ever. Wouldn't do it. But not everyone has that knowledge. And we should. I think it should be taught in school. Yeah. Honestly. Mm-hmm. They're taught about sex. Kids still get pregnant, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, they're aware of the possibilities. They aren't about addiction. And how many young kids have you seen die from yeah. overdoses? 14-year-olds who, yeah. Yeah. It is and, a large subject. And, dude, that's what, like, I've told patients who, there's one specifically, they were clean for so long, and it wasn't that they bought something on the street. It wasn't that they know their dealer, they know where they can get this stuff. They went to the dentist for a root canal, and the dentist was like, does this pain keep, keep you up at night? And they were like, yeah. And they are like, all right. They're leaving out the office, and they're handed a script for hydrocodone. Just that fast? That, literally that fast. Did they ever ask? No. There's never any question of like, do you have an addiction to pain pills, whatever. And that patient did not have it in them because addiction runs into your core being. Like, it it doesn't matter how strong your morals are. It doesn't matter how strong your values are or whatever. Like, you can pray about it, all this stuff. But when it gets into the core of your psyche you feel that script and you take it mm-hmm. and that's how they relapsed was literally just they yep. went to the dentist for a an actual need and i'm not blaming all doctors i'm not i'm partially not blaming all doctors and stuff like that but it is it is so easy to just go with actual pain like cuz and that's another thing is it's not just that you have the drug seekers and stuff like that these people are dealing with real pain. They're Absolute showing pain, the yeah. the pathophysiological signs of the increased heart rate, the sweating, all this stuff. And in paramedic school, my instructor said, like, you can't fake vital signs. Mm-mm. So it's an actual thing, but I've had maybe two patients so far who I'm like, hey, look, you literally just... I, have, I don't have a picture of it, but you <laughs> just popped your collarbone out of place from riding on an electric scooter like I can give you something and they've looked me dead in the eyes and they're like I've been sober for five years yep please don't give me anything yep I've had a a broken ankle do the same thing a very broken ankle do the same exact thing but they have that self-control because they were taught you need to have that self-control you know, your 12 steps and this, mm-hmm. that, and the third. Not everyone has that, which is sad and it's heartbreaking. But to think of these people any less than than the patient that is having an MI. Right. It, that doesn't just upset me. It pisses me off. Genuinely. Not just because I'm, ex- I was exposed to that at a or very early age and growing up, but they're still human. You know, we all are. And you can have pain from actual physical pain, so like the dentist situation and also the broken ankle or the popped out collarbone, but you can also have pain from trauma, mm-hmm. not just an accident. I'm speaking like emotional trauma, mental trauma, 
and this is where the mental health comes in a lot more that people just don't or haven't in the past taken seriously like you said at the beginning of this podcast like I feel our generation has been pushing it so much harder and I'm so grateful that we have because it could help prevent so many deaths from overdoses because what is getting high or drunk aside from trying to avoid your emotions your feelings or your thoughts or your past or the things you've been through you know it's difficult to navigate and no one is taught any better and that's sad that's heartbreaking oh well go seek god go seek the bible go seek um an elder that can help you that does nothing for me i'm sorry yeah i know my god is real and i love him but at the end of the day doesn't pay my bills (laughs) right (laughs) like i said earlier doesn't pay my bills and quite frankly doesn't make me feel better in this moment but you know what does heroin yeah yeah no but addiction is it's a struggle yeah and i hope that my i i almost pray that the ems medics basics whatever you want to call them that they consider having the compassion that it takes to not just pick up the frequent flyer in the mall mall that needs help up or the BS transfer or whatever, but please God consider those addicts. Please. They need it. They do. As annoying as they can be because <laughs> I'm so tired of them pissing in the back of the ambulance, but yes. <laughs> I hate it just as much as you do. Yeah. You know? But Jesus Christ, I I love them. And it's part of that when you lose that compassion and your ability to step outside. Like for the people who they've never seen it wreck somebody's life or they've never been through it themselves, being able to at least try to put yourself in their shoes. Mm-hmm. I feel like that should be taught part of why in my career at EMS, I want to go into e- like EMS instruction and stuff like that. As much as it, it's important to be able to read a a 12 lead and understand what the squiggly lines mean and like, mm-hmm. this is what a heart attack is. Like, this is what you need to do. And like, diesel therapy, blah, 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 blah. There should be an entire section not just focusing on the, the one or two days we go over psychs and stuff, but that ability to, hey, you have a whole human being in the back of your ambulance you don't know their full story, but you need to be able to get down to their level, at least try and help them. Like there's such a lack of, like you said, it's, it's so much like we crave that emergency medical response. We crave, I would say so much the lights and sirens. I get tired of it sometimes, Yeah, me too. <laughs> but, um, that like the adrenaline push the let me do these things let me save somebody's life we crave so much of that but 85 90 percent of our job is in that moment you have to be there for that person 
-hmm. And when you lose sight of that, if when you've lost the spice of the job, you you're lost in the sauce. Like you might as well go work doing something else because you're not going to be as effective. I love that. The spice of the job. Let's be honest though. Some of these people are hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> like some of the funniest conversations I have ever had have been from patients that I could have just picked up and transported to the hospital, but I decided to have a conversation with them and they're freaking funny. Yeah. They're hilarious. 100%. Like, I think, like you were saying, like a conversation just could change your whole outlook on a call. Perfect example. I think it was, it wasn't New Year's. It would have been maybe St. Patrick's Day or something. A patient um, wrecked a vehicle and it was a minor accident. We picked him up and he was like, yeah, it's my birthday. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, where are you heading? I figured he was probably intoxicated. Right. I, whatever. I'm going to get you in the back of my truck. We're going to do what we got to do. So we're doing what we're doing. And I'm just having a conversation with him. And he was like, all right, well, I'm going to call my baby mama. I said, all right, I'll do what you got to do. That's <laughs> right. fine. So I'm like typing my little ticket or whatever. And I hear this conversation. Yeah, mom, headed on the way to the hospital, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay. Um, so he gets off his phone. I closed my laptop. And I said, were you really headed to your baby mama's house? He said, no. Stop. I swear. Stop. I swear. I said, um, sir, where were you headed? Man, I'm cheating. <laughs> I said, uh, this might fall underneath the category of like one of the funniest calls I've ever been on in my life. <laughs> I said, dude, what? <laughs> I'm sorry, what? Not only is it a holiday, but you were what? Man, I'm cheating. <laughs> All right, let's back this up a little bit. Whose vehicle were you driving? Uh-uh. Man, it was my baby mama's car. No, uh, you weren't. No, on you weren't. the way to the side yep, piece. Yep. Oh, Driving my. his baby mama's car on the way to the side piece's house. Wrecked her car. Goes to the hospital she's got to pick him up he's high <laughs> like dude <laughs> you can't make this up you can't you can't make this up it was funny it right. was terrible right but it's funny <laughs> man i'm cheating <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> look me i'm like all right so why shouldn't we be doing these things <laughs> whole time back in my mind i'm dying laughing that was so funny to me it was terrible that's <laughs> funny <laughs> she was mad yeah she was hot oh absolutely i talked to her wait <laughs> how did, did you talk to her so he ended up calling her back after they had got off the phone i was like hey i gotta ask you a couple of questions and you know whatever man i'm cheating whatever i said uh you gotta call her back he was like yeah i need to well, go ahead, call her back. So he calls her back, gets her on the phone, and then she's hot, bruh. I could hear her. You know, he doesn't have her on speakerphone, but she's yelling you can so hear it. loud I can hear it. 
So I was like, let me talk to her. Let me talk to her. So he answered me the phone. I was like, what's up, baby mama? <laughs> Stop. Swear to God. Swear to God. What's up, baby mama? Man, what the F that? Blah, 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 blah. This, that, third. She's going off. I said, look, just want to let you know. He's good. Everything's all right. I said, I don't know if your car is totaled or not. I'm not a mechanic. But your man is all right. And we're going to meet you here. Yada, yada, yada. Thank you so much, ma'am. I really appreciate that. I said, by the way, Mm -mm. I think it's time to move on. (gasps) She said, Alex. What? And the man looking at me, he's like, Alex. He starts laughing. (laughs) He starts laughing. He thinks it's funny. He's like, it's funny to me. I'm like, I think it's time to move on. She said, I already been knew that. (laughs) <laughs> I already been knew that. You mm-hmm. so right, girl. This is exactly what I needed here. Thank you, ma'am. I said, you're so welcome. Click. He said, you funny, man. You funny, dude. I really think that he thought she wasn't going to leave him. I don't know whatever played out with that situation, but that's hilarious. <laughs> that's so funny. Just letting you know, ma. You need to move on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's like, ah, you're so funny. I said, uh. I don't think she thought it was that funny, bro. <laughs> it was hilarious. Glad you're having a good time. I was Just... having the time of my life. Yeah. Look, my name badge flipped backwards. You know yeah. <laughs> if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or future topic ideas, please email me at 22 at the lips podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's 22 at the lips podcast at gmail.com. Be safe out there, friends, and never stop learning.